relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. If it is the truth, I would like... Putin and all his staff, everybody around him, his government, his friends, I want them know that they will be punished for what they have done with our country, with my family and with my husband. They will be brought to justice and this day will come soon. Yulia Navalny talking at the uh, Verkunde as was the Munich Security Conference right after her husband died of what the KGB or the SVR and the FSB called Southern Sudden Death Syndrome, literally just a day or two after he was seen healthy in a video deposition for a Russian court. Why did he die? Who is Vladimir Putin? What's the truth about the Tucker interview and what's happening in the Middle East with October the 7th, the consequences and the actual people behind the violence, the mullahs in Iran? I'm really delighted to have in studio. He's tough. He's harder to get in, you know, on the show than President Trump. He's a busy man. He should be. He's the senior vice president for the American Foreign Policy Council, a good friend of mine personally, Ilan Berman. Welcome back in studio. How great to be back. You're the guy who was, like, banned from Russia by Putin, right? Me and 950 of my friends, but, yeah. I'm, I'm really jealous. I'm really jealous. I have to work I know, harder. It's, it's a life goal. Yeah, you, I hope you have that, like, frame somewhere. You know, Ilan Berman banned by a Putin KGB regime. That's superb. Um, okay, so much to discuss with you. I've been waiting to get you on the show for a while. You said something before we went on air about Navalny, and I, I'd like to jump straight in. We'll sure. talk about... What happened during the interview, who it was really for, was Putin talking to domestic audiences, international audiences. But you said something about the timing of Navalny's death and what Putin was doing by having him killed. What was the motivation? Who was he hurting, given the timing of what happened? Well, look, I mean, right, so you're talking about two huge... Uh, events, right? The the Tucker Carlson interview with Putin, which I would say did not go swimmingly uh, in the pers- uh, from the perspective of Tucker Carlson, Carlson himself, went very well uh, from the perspective of Vladimir Putin, from the perspective of his Kremlin handlers, and then the uh, uh, death of unnatural causes of Alexei Navalny, which happened almost not not simultaneously, but certainly sequentially. Yeah. And it's really interesting because if you look at the chronology, the Interview airs. There are subsequent clips uh, of which, uh, in which Tucker is fawning over, you know, groceries, despite the fact that gross, groceries of the type. Right. Of- so stuff that's uh, outside of the interview, where right. he's going around Russia saying this is a great cheeseburger and these right, 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 stores right. are superb. Right. And and uh, you know, without any context, as in, you know, the seventy dollars of groceries that he picked up is is you know a month's salary for. Um, for an ordinary Russian, right? There's no comparative analysis here. It's just what's great. By the way, the thing that uh, blew me away the most was when he was uh, extolling the virtues of the Moscow Metro and how beautiful it is. And by the way, if you've been there, I've been there. It's really beautiful. 
You know what else is beautiful? The Kiev metro, because the same Soviet planners built both. And but, so, but it wasn't just the metro. I mean, this is the weird thing. Tucker correct. goes to something called the Global Governance Summit, which is, sounds a little bit WEF-y for me. And he talks about, well, Moscow's really clean and there's no crime. Right. I'm sure, you know, Munich and Berlin in 1938 were pretty right. crime-free. Right, right, right. And, What's and, the point of that comment? I think the point of that comment is, uh, I mean, it's it sort of, it's, it's signaling. But it's also, I mean, look, uh, if, if you're Tucker Carlson and you're sort of your own boss and you're, you have the ability to take a look back at this interview and say, you know what, this didn't really go well for me. I didn't ask the hardball questions. It was sort of a softball interview. I got uh, ridiculed by the Russian president, right, 47, 48 minutes in. He's talking about, uh, you know, how uh, Tucker didn't, uh, couldn't make it in the CIA. He was rejected from the job. Uh, you know, all in all, not a stellar interview, not something and, you should and, be and proud of. And the thing is, after the interview, Tucker posted a video saying in the car leaving, I don't know what that interview was like. It'll probably take me a year to digest that interview, which is weird, isn't it? Which is weird, because you know what it's like. What I was, was there. Like. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm Tucker. I, like, uh, I was there. So, so tell, say us, tell, share with all of our listeners what you said about how killing Navalny was really to make Tucker look bad, right? Well, no, but, but certainly the timing, I mean, look, uh, the Kremlin planners are strategic thinkers. Yep. They don't do anything by accident. What you have is less than 24 hours after Tucker releases, not the interview, but all those other fawning clips about yes. the grocery store and the uh, supermarket, um, you have a uh, transparently non-accidental death yep. of uh, Vladimir Putin's fiercest, most charismatic political critic. And by the way, not the only one. There's tons of other notable Russian opposition figures that are uh, in jail. And, and, you know, for, or dead. Or dead. For indefinite terms, even. right? But... but uh, Navalny was the guy that mattered. Let's talk about him for a second. So let's leave the, the, the interview to the side for a moment. Because most Americans have no idea who right. Alexei Navalny is. If, if you see comments, especially from conservatives, you'll see, oh, he's a Nazi, he's a bad guy. Who is this person and why did Putin have to put him in prison? In, in a Siberian penal colony above the Arctic Circle, by the way. Right. No, that's exactly right. So Navalny was in Russian parlance, the, uh, sort of the first truly viral opposition figure. And he did this because he had an anti-corruption foundation, and it was an anti-corruption foundation which did a, a bunch of YouTube exposés, did a bunch of research reports, tilting first, not at the top echelons of the Kremlin, but before that, sort of at the bottom layers. But the corruption, you know, sort of the apple is rotten to the core, and so he... It, the fish rots from the head. Yeah, the fish rots from the head. And, and so, so inevitably he got to the unaccountability, the sort of the venality of the Putin regime. But he also did so in really innovative ways. He uh, campaigned unsuccessfully because he was barred from it um, uh, to be mayor of Moscow uh, back in the day. Um, he, in the last Russian, rigged Russian presidential selection, not an election, really, yeah. um, he uh, instituted something that, that almost threw a wrench in the Kremlin's plans because he instituted this... Uh, and popularized a smart voting system where the people would sort of uh, come out in a flash mob and vote and sort of skew results so that the, um, the outcome was that Putin's United Russia Party, because Vladimir Putin is president of this sort of pro-Kremlin rubber stamp faction, um, did less well, at least in municipal and in regional elections, than they should have done based upon what the Kremlin was planning. So he's been a gadfly for a long time. Uh, and, but is he this extremist, uh, xenophobic nationalist that some have said he is? 
So he has some nationalist tendencies, and this is what I think is really necessary for people to understand about Russia. There are many Russians that still remember Russia as an empire, that still remember Russia as a great state, but they don't subscribe to Putin's interpretation of the subordination of the Russian people, of this sort of this is a vertically integrated government that, that is super repressive. This doesn't mean that uh, Alexei Navalny didn't believe the fact that Russia was a great power. He absolutely did. Many other Russians do as well. But this interpretation, this sort of you know distorted funhouse mirror thing that Putin has built, he didn't sign up for that. So is it, I don't want to oversimplify, but it's... Uh Russia as great, but without the kleptocracy and the corruption Correct. of former KGB colonels. A Russia that's great and strong, right. and, but freer, freer and more transparent and more accountable. One thing I want to share that I, I did in the article I wrote uh, the day before yesterday. So a very good friend of the show who's on quite regularly, he had a Russian wife. And the Russian wife told him something fascinating. She said, I'm really angry at Putin for one reason because he has all the power. And if he were a patriot, because you know, people, you know, we have concerns saying, oh, well, he's a patriot, he's doing it because he loves Russia. This Russian woman said, if he loved Russia, he could get rid of the corruption because he's so powerful. Absolutely. And he hasn't. Exactly. That's the metric for her, for a Russian. No, that's exactly right. And uh, what the ancillary... Uh, sort of uh, the follow-on policy that he's instituted because he hasn't gotten rid of the corruption. Instead, he sort of spread the wealth around to his coterie of advisors and sycophants is that he's obscured objective truth. So a lot of what Russia does is disinformation, it's propaganda. We see it here, but remember, all politics is local. So the target audience of uh, Russia's attempts to diminish democracy, Russia's attempts to inject doubt you know, confidence in transparent, uh, democratic, federalist institutions. It's all about the local. It's all Vladimir Putin saying to his own people, hey, listen, I know it's bad here, but look at that chaos over there. You don't want that. Look at, look at, those, is good. Look at that transgenderism in America. I mean, they know which things to absolutely, pull. Absolutely. We'll talk about the disinformation with the author of the perfect book for today. Challenging Moscow's Message, Russian Disinformation and the Western Response by Ilan Berman of AFPC.org, IlanBerman.com. I'm Sebastian Gorka. I love the long form. I get to ask the questions from the real experts. If you enjoy it as much as I do, make sure you are subscribed on the podcast platform of your choice. Just plug in my name, Sebastian Gorka, America First, leave a five-star review and share the links with your friends so we get the news out there. You heard what President Trump said about Navalny and how he can relate. We need him back in the White House. All the America First gear you can want to tell the world who you are and that you're ready for 47, for 45 to become 47. It's up to us, God willing. Go to sebgorkastore.com, S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A store.com, and you can support him directly at donaldjtrump.com. Greetings, this is Dr. Sebastian Gorker from the Midas Gold Group War Room. The MAGA veterans at Midas point out that the Federal Reserve note does not belong to you. It belongs to the Federal Reserve Bank, while the federal debt doesn't belong to the Federal Reserve Bank. 
It belongs to you. This is your wake-up call to what the Midas Gold Group veterans believe the central bank and government are trying to do. A controlled demolition of our current system with a central bank digital currency to take complete and utter control of our transactional freedoms. A literal digital concentration camp replete with social sanctions. Protect yourself. Turn this wake-up call into a phone call and look into the opportunities that gold can provide you as a way to diversify your investments. Call veteran-owned Midas Gold Group today, 855-322-GOLD, or go to MidasGoldGroup.com. That's 855-322-GOLD, or just go to MidasGoldGroup.com. Always faithful, Midas Gold Group, MAGA and proud of it. The average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of leadership? And that's true. By the way, it's radicalizing for an American to go to Moscow. I didn't know that. I've learned it this week. To Singapore, to Tokyo, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. That don't have rampant inflation where you're not going to get raped. The ultimate measure of leadership uh, is a subway that functions. I think not having penal colonies above the Arctic Circle is probably a better metric and not putting people in prison for political purposes. I would ask the January 6th defendants, I would ask the widow and the mother of Alexei Navalny, Tucker, if uh, clean and crime-free subways is the ultimate measure of leadership. If you enjoy our show here, but three hours a day simply isn't enough. And if you're looking for something to do on July 4th weekend, join us for our Patriots Alaska cruise, especially I'm talking to you, dear listeners. If you missed our trip to Israel a year ago, where we took 350 of our dearest listeners, it was incredible. The same company, Inspiration, is taking us to the most beautiful state in the Union on an incredible ship. We've checked it out. It is majestic. We had 43 couples book cabins last week, 200 sold already. Don't wait. Don't miss out. Check the amazing itinerary at sebgorka.com. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A. Reserve your cabin. $50 off if you do it now. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A. And the Patriots Alaska Cruise, June 29th to July 6th. So um, (laughs) for me... I just wrote this long exegesis on the whole interview, uh, Tucker, Putin, and how it relates to President Trump, especially after that seminal True Social post on Monday night, where he said, I I can relate to Navalny. This is political persecution by by the state. I think the, the most interesting part, to understand who was interviewing who at that to a two-hour, ten-minute interview, was this moment when um, the real host, the real interviewer, the president of Russia, brought up something about Tucker's past. With the backing of CIA, of course. The organization you wanted to join back in the day, as I understand. We should thank God they didn't let you in. Although, it is a serious organization. I understand. Now, I'm not going to denigrate Tucker Carlson's professionalism. But if I were interviewing a former KGB colonel who happens to be the head of a nuclear power, I know 
he would have read what we called in the British Army my P-file, my personnel file. And if I, I knew that he could throw in, well, Gorka, I know you worked for British military intelligence, or I know that you've got a British passport and that you were born to Hungarians who escaped, you know, communism. I'd be prepped. I, would like, I wouldn't sit there like Tucker did, because Tucker did apply to the CIA. For some reason, he wasn't hired, and he sits there like dumbfounded. Surely... He must have expected a former KGB colonel to have read his file, Tucker's file. I, I'm a little bit bemused, Ilan. No, no, I, I, I think that's right. And, and it's that underestimation, or as, pre- as President Bush uh, in his day used to say, the misunderestimation <laughs> of, uh, of these foreign leaders, right, just because they are brutal, just because they are corrupt, doesn't mean that they're not competent, and it doesn't mean that they don't do their homework. So the idea that you could go to Moscow and emphasize the positive and highlight, uh, you know, all of the all of the things that are going right in Russia, because let's remember there are certain things that are going right in Russia. Uh, right, the trains do run on time. Is that the cost that you want to pay for the rampant repression and the corruption and sort of you know the unfree political atmosphere? I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think it is. But there are things that are happening in Russia that are going right. Um, but if you emphasize those and you don't highlight the other things, you're liable to get caught on the back foot, the way Tucker did. And, and especially when, before the interview aired, or before Tucker posted it, he gave us this three-minute video from Red Square, or he was outside somewhere in Moscow, saying, this is about freedom of speech. My interviewing Putin is about freedom of speech. Okay, whose freedom of speech? Yours as an American who gets to broadcast it back home as a free man when you leave Sheremetyevo, or or what about free speech in Russia? Because mm-hmm. he didn't he raised one American journalist's imprisonment. He didn't talk about Anna Politkovskaya. He didn't talk about Boris Nemtsov. He didn't talk about the SVR agent who was killed with polonium two ten. He didn't talk about Alexei Navalny who was still alive. So. If it were about freedom of speech, weren't there certain names he should have mentioned? No, of course, uh, undoubtedly. And not just Navalny, right? There are people like Ilya Yashin, people like uh, Vladimir Karamurza, right? People who uh, those uh, in the sort of the Russian policy sphere, they know they are true patriots, they are true activists, and they've been imprisoned uh, in some cases for decades, right, with, with uh, sentences uh, spanning decades for the temerity to speak out, right? And, and one of the interesting things is, and you see this, uh, it's not just a Russian conceit, it's a Russian and Chinese and Iranian, is that authoritarian regimes want to reach out and touch their citizens, even if they belong somewhere else. So just a couple uh, explain that. Just a couple of days ago, there was a Russian-American ballerina that had raised a piddling amount, right, uh, you know, uh, $48, $52, whatever it was, uh, in support of uh, the Ukrainian side. In the, as a Russian-American. As a Russian-American. And all of a sudden, her, the American part of her nationality was nullified, and she was arrested uh, by... Well, nullified uh, by Russia. Yeah, no, no, no <laughs> not nullified by us. Right. And the question really is, uh, you know, what's the Biden administration going to do about it? Is it going to go to bat for her? What happened to this ballerina? Uh, and she got uh, imprisoned. She got taken into custody by, uh, by the uh, Moscow police. Uh, so who was he talking to? Domestic audience? Russians abroad? And then if, if he's talking to foreign audiences who aren't Russian, what message was he trying to send? 
So, so again, it, it's all that. It's right. You start with the, the politics is local. Right. Um, let us show you. But, but to other governments, what was he saying? No, no, correct. So, so what the, what you've seen actually is a one-two punch, and it has everything to do with uh, two things. It has to do with Ukraine and the chaos that we see on, uh, unfortunately, on Capitol Hill with regard yeah. to funding for Ukraine. Right. We should talk about that later. Uh, well, well, t- absolutely. And the second is uh, the fact that Russia has elections coming up in just uh, three weeks or so. Right. Um, Russians will go to the polls uh, in a, a contest where the outcome has already been determined. It's been determined because everybody knows Vladimir Putin's going to win. Yep. It's also been determined because just for good measure, uh, if there is a comparatively liberal political candidate, the Federal Election Commission has disqualified him, which they did, uh, you know, about a week, week and a half ago with uh, this uh, this upstart candidate, Boris Nadezhdin. So what you have is you have a situation where Putin, sitting in the Kremlin, feels the world going his way. So hang on a second. Is it... But that's insane. I mean, it's like it would be like removing a candidate from a primary ballot here in America. I mean, that's insane. That could never happen in places like Colorado. <laughs> yeah, could no, no, it could not. The, the difference, right, and, and right. It, it bears noting, the difference is we have recourse. Yes. And we have the ability to uh, object, to complain, to escalate the complaint, and to get justice. And there is a Supreme Court that, at least for the time being, isn't just rubber stamping the administration. We talked to Ilan Berman uh, for AFPC.org, the author of Challenging Moscow's Message. Give him a follow on social media, at Ilan Berman. Don't forget to follow us as well. Just look for Seb Gorka or Sebastian Gorka on all the social media platforms. Check out my latest article about exactly these issues on my Substack, SebastianGorka.substack.com. And don't forget, we are a TV show as well. You can watch us on the Salem News Channel app, on your Roku, your Fire Stick, or your Salem Plus device. And don't forget, SebastianGorka.substack.com. That's SebastianGorka.substack.com. Did you know that 84% of New Year's resolutions fail in the first six weeks? That's got me thinking about PhD weight loss and nutrition and why it was a success for me. Why I haven't gained one pound of my 42-pound weight loss back. Why Jeff, my producer, decided to start the program. Most people blame their failure on a lack of time, motivation, and a loss of zeal. PhD makes it simple. It doesn't take a lot of extra time. They are masters of motivation. You have a team of coaches by your side the whole time, and you don't lose your zeal because every week you make great strides, so you stay excited. Do something different this year and call PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition, 864-644-1900 to get started or online at myphdweightloss.com. Don't do this alone. The number, 864-644-1900, myphdweightloss.com. If you enjoy America First, make sure you support those who make it possible. This isn't NPR. We don't get half a billion dollars of your money every year. This is a free market enterprise. Support the likes of Mike Lindell, a great patriot who, um, well, you know how good his products are? That thing, you know, the my pillow that I rest my head on every night? He's only sold 81 million of them. Mm-hmm. That good. But are you aware that he's got more than 200 other items on his website made by Americans here in America for you? Don't buy that Chinese garbage on Amazon. Buy American. Use my name, get up to two-thirds off, and free shipping. Call 800-829-8468 or go to MyPillow.com. Buy American. Start with Mike. 800-829-8468. MyPillow.com. Promo code G-O-R-K-A. 
Um, one last thing, and then we'll move on to another geopolitical topic. There's a great guy. My son turned me on to him, Ryan Macbeth, 22, 23 years in the military. He's got a superb YouTube channel, Ryan Macbeth Programming, which is focused on destroying disinformation, whether it's domestic or international. Here is Ryan's very short take on um, buying groceries in Moscow. Internet gadfly DC Drano, also known as Rogan O'Handley, is lying about Tucker Carlson's visit to a Russian grocery store. Well, he's either lying or he can't do math. Both of those possibilities are equally bad. So here's the basics. Right now, internet entertainer Tucker Carlson is in Russia and he went to a grocery store to get groceries for his crew. A week's worth of groceries cost 9,400 rubles, roughly $103. And Rogan insinuates that since groceries only cost $100 for the whole crew, Biden inflation has destroyed the quality of life in America. Now, I'm not a big fan of politics, but I am a big fan of math. The average salary in Russia is about 73,000 rubles a month, according to the Federal State Statistics Service, which is this organization right here. If this is the grocery bill and this is the average salary, then the percentage is 13%. So a week's worth of groceries in Russia is 13% of your salary. In America, that would be $800 a week. So listen, buddy, I know you don't like the president. I don't care about that, but I do care about people who spread misinformation. And if you do that, I will catch you using math and science. Math, it's merciless. Follow here, Brian Macbeth programming. We, we, before we move on to, to another geographic region, we mentioned what's going on on Capitol Hill. Isn't it depressing? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is this is nothing to do with national security, mature national security debate or strategy, is it? No, no. It, it has a lot to do with again the domestic audience and posturing. The problem is that the downstream consequences, as we say, are potentially catastrophic because. I think, uh, you know, it's penny wise and pound foolish. What you're doing is you're saving a little bit of money, right? In the grand scheme of things, it's a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, a little bit of money. But what you're doing is you're poking the bear. You're essentially telling the Russians that American support isn't transformative and it's limited, time limited. And therefore, if you're Putin, you feel the world going your way, right? Uh, Kind of like you saw in the Tucker Carlson interview, where he knows that if he just waits, that the West will lose interest, America will lose interest, and that he can push. He can push further beyond Ukraine. That's why in places like Finland, in places like Norway, what you're seeing is massive surges of civic defense classes. Oh, the volunteerism? Yeah, absolutely. Is exploding in yes, those be- countries. because they know something that we don't, right? They're not separated from Russia by a large ocean. And so they know that if Ukraine falls or if Ukraine is subjugated in some way, Russia won't stop. Russia will continue. So they're becoming prepared. And that should tell you everything you need to know about the stakes that we're talking about. We're not just talking about Ukraine. We're talking about the European order. But if we think that, wow, this is shocking, the second anniversary of the Ukraine war is this weekend, uh, it should have been easier for Russia, shouldn't it? They, they haven't performed as they expected. Oh, no, 100 percent. Um, The Russians are doing better now, but the Russians are doing better now because they're adapting and they've sort of adapted tactics and adapted, uh, you know, sort of to to positional warfare. But the real secret sauce, the reason the Russians are doing better is we're not doing as much. And the the worst possible thing, right, in a bipartisan way, the worst possible thing that Vladimir Putin can learn, that the Ayatollah in Iran can learn, that Xi Jinping can learn in Beijing is... Oh, America spent all this money, and it wasn't transformative. They didn't really change the rules of the game. We can still do it. We just have to wait a little longer. That's a lesson that neither a Republican nor a Democrat should be sending. 
all um, they're, they're learning that uh, proxies are useful. That what, what I hear about who Russia is deploying into the region, who they're letting out of um, penal colonies and recruiting. I, I can't divulge the source. A friend of mine, um, our friends who were left behind in Afghanistan, thousands of them have been corralled in another country close to Afghanistan because we didn't get out, get out of there. And if we don't help get them safe passage to a neutral country, they are about to be press ganged into fighting for the Russians in Ukraine. That's how drastic the situation is. The book, Get It Right Now, from our friend Ilan Berman, is challenging Moscow's message, Russian disinformation and the Western response. Our God-given freedoms are facing unrelenting attacks. It's a battle for truth, and the only way we win is if we stand together. Thankfully, the Alliance Defending Freedom has been defending our rights for 30 years and winning. Right now, they're involved in two critical cases before the Supreme Court. They're suing the FDA for endangering the health and safety of women and girls, and in the second case, they're assisting the state of Idaho to defend its law, protecting the lives of women and their unborn children against the Biden administration's attempt to override the law and force doctors to perform abortions. And they need your help. With your best gift, you courageously join ADF in fighting critical Supreme Court cases against government lawlessness and help defend our cherished freedoms. Call 855-374-4767 right now or go to sebgorka.com and click on the ADF banner. With your help, I've pledged to raise $35,000 by March 31st for ADF. Go to sebgorka.com or call 855-374-4767 to make your best gift right now. I know with your help we can beat that goal and help make a generational difference for freedom. We have nine months to go. We have to be at the top of our game. You have to eat right. You have to exercise. But what if you're carrying a little bit of, what should I call it, excess luggage? Don't worry. I've been there, that tie around the middle. I could hide it. I'm six foot three, but 268 pounds. That's not good. But then I met Dr. Ashley Lucas and her amazing team at my PhD weight loss, and I lost 42 pounds in a matter of months. Katie lost 36 my colleague, Mike Gallagher, lost 53, and he kept it off. Now, Dennis Prager is on the program. Mr. G's doing it. He lost almost 20 pounds in less than a month. No scary injections, no pills to pop, just a system with five meals a day that help you burn the fat. I'm down to size 36 in my blue jeans. I haven't been a size 36 since my 20s, and it feels great. If you've given up, don't call Dr. Lucas's amazing team, 864-644-1900. Just see the scary before and after pictures especially mine, at MyPhDWeightLoss.com. That's 864-644-1900, MyPhDWeightLoss.com, MyPhDWeightLoss.com. All right, you are truly, what, what is it? Bill O'Reilly, when I was in the White House, called me a util- national security utility infielder. No idea what that means. I played <laughs> rugby and cricket. But I think it applies to our guest, Ilan Berman, because th- there is no national security topic he can't wax lyrical on. So let's switch um, terrains. Let's switch uh, topography. October 7th. Sure. I'm worried that, well, apart from what Biden is doing, you know, forcing a ceasefire on a situation that has not been resolved, I'm kind of worried that this is the war that we're forgetting. Uh, What should we know about Israel's success and how far there is left to be done? And really, can it be solved whilst not dealing directly with Iran? 
Right. So th there's two things here, right? Uh, what's happening in Israel and how they're reconceiving their security. And then the big show, which is Iran. It's not the Iranian proxies uh, like Hezbollah and Hamas. It's Iran. So on the first point, what I think is necessary to understand is that October 7th was a multi-domain failure. And what I mean by this is that the Israelis, uh, even though they uh, sort of, uh, and you've had many of these conversations and I have as well, they will tell you, no, 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 we have it. We've sort of taken care of everything. We understand everything. But even they fell into this twofold trap. The first is that they thought they had total domain awareness. They thought because of high tech, because of the robustness of their intelligence service, they knew everything that was going on with the Palestinians, also with Iran, also with all these radical actors that were sort of swirling around uh, the state's borders. The second was, just like we did with China, the Israelis over time became convinced that you can trade your way, you can give financial aid, and over time, the Palestinians will give up their core demands. As Jonathan Shands has said to me, shockingly, because he heard this from senior IDF guys, just like we did in America under Obama, they came to convince themselves right. that these actors were political actors right. and not religious or ideological right. ones. Exactly, exactly right. right. And, and so now, so you had that, right? That, as the Russians say, they call it the concepcia, the strategic concept. So that was the old concepcia. That was the old strategic concept that they had, and they realized that it's bankrupt. And now they're scrambling to build a new one. And the new one has everything to do with preemptive defense, right, a forward uh, military posture. It has to do with urban warfare. It has to do with a, uh, and if you remember, um, in the years preceding October 7th, the Israelis really weren't doing proactive defense. Anytime there would be a terrorist attack, uh, Israel would retaliate. It was reactive. It, yeah, it was reactive. It was time limited. Uh, they were husbanding their resources. That's not where they are right now. They're going to have to have a military presence in Gaza in perpetuity. 100%. And by the way, they're going to have to open a northern front against Hezbollah in Lebanon, because under this new strategic concept, the idea that Iran's chief terrorist proxies is on your northern border, that it can hold a third of your country hostage, that it has a an arsenal of 150,000 precision-guided rockets that can put half of your country at risk, is simply untenable. And so, you know, the Israelis, as they'll say, it would be a disaster if it happened now, but a, a northern front is inevitable. Um, do we have? Any clarity on why October 7th happened? Is it because of the kind of constitutional malaise? At one point, the Israeli Air Force had 400 fighter pilots on strike. What, was it just political reasons as well? Well, so it was, it was, I think, a combination of everything. It, it was the sort of the hubris that you sort of knew exactly what was happening, and so you really didn't have to worry so much about the day-to-day. -day. Even though there were, you know, as, as is coming out, there were warnings from concerned citizens, from military, um, sort of military outposts that were seeing troubling signs that something was brewing, something big, and they were disregarded. The second is that Israel was headed very rapidly into a, an enormously divisive, all, sort of proto-civil war, yeah. right? And, and Politically. It, poli yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not not, not uh, physically, but, but certainly politically, uh, as divided as I've ever seen it. And, over the Supreme Court issues. Well, but not only, right? Over the, the religious-secular uh, divide, yes. over, over sort of a whole host of things, right. the, the balance uh, in the country... Um, sort of uh, in terms of identification, in terms of, um, you know, the, the religious community as a, so a proportion of the whole, right? It's all different. It's all different now. And what you have is you had a country that 
over the preceding, I mean, they had problems, but over the preceding years, you know, almost a decade, they had, they didn't have any insurmountable security problems. And so what happens is when you become increasingly secure at home, you start to eat yourself. And that's exactly what's happening politically in Israel, which is why it's so notable that on October 8th and every day thereafter, the amount of unity that you have in Israel is really breathtaking. What you have is you have religious people and secular people fighting side by side. Everybody understands that this is an existential issue. This is that uh, eliminating Hamas is really not a dispensable uh, dispensable idea, despite what Secretary Blinken may say when he comes. Right, He's been there like seven times. Um, they really understand that this is an existential fight and they're unified. And by the way, the reason uh, it's so jarring for Israelis to hear the Biden administration talk about Palestinian statehood and about the idea that you could that there, there might be a unilateral declaration of recognition of a Palestinian state by the United States is because it's almost like the horrific events of October 7th where families were killed, butchered, burned alive, it's been memory hold. And now you're rewarding precisely the people that carried out those atrocities by giving them something they haven't earned. Does Netanyahu survive if they win the war? I think it's a good question. Um, certainly, uh, you know, he's a political survivor. And I think, uh, you know, um, the, the presumption was that his government would fall, right? If you look at historical examples, in 1973, Golda Meir miscued on the mobilization of the Egyptian military, the mobilization of the Syrian military, the Yom Kippur War ensued uh, in 1973. Uh, the country rallied, it came together, it won the war, and then her government fell because of a commission of inquiry. Right. So the assumption was that this is the same thing that's going to happen right now. I don't know if that's the case. And I don't know if that's the case because this is turning into a protracted conflict. This is not six days. This is, you know, we're four months in, there's no signs of abating. And if there's a northern front, it could go on for a lot longer than that. And I think they need a steady, steady hand at the tiller. The book from our special one-on-one guest, Get It Right Now, is challenging Moscow's message, Russian disinformation, and the Western response. Are you tired of not getting a good night's sleep? Well, my friend, Mike Lindell has created the perfect solution. He didn't just stomp out the pillow. He also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. Made from the world's best cotton called Giza, these sheets are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. And now, for a limited time, you can get 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets with prices starting as low as $29.98 in a variety of sizes and colors and have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio square and use promo code G-O-R-K-A at checkout. You can also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper and the MyPillow towel sets. Don't wait any longer to get the best sleep of your life. Call 800-829-8468 or go to MyPillow.com now and use promo code Gorka. That's 800-829-8468 or MyPillow.com, promo code G-O-R-K-A. So as I, uh, I noted previously, uh, the president has posted this that I think some may have um, been shocked by. I'm very glad on his uh, true social account. The sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country. Uh, you've got two minutes left. Sure. Can you address, you've got talk about three and a half million people listening to you. And some of them say that... Um, the likes of Putin are patriots, they're anti-globalists. 
When President Trump gets it, that what is happening here is a lighter version, a pale version of what's happening in Russia, we need to understand what this regime is as conservatives. And I, I make this joke, but it's deadly serious. I remember the good old days when no conservative was on the side of a KGB colonel. What's going on? Right. What, what's your message? So, so there's a couple of things. And, and uh, candidly, you know, myself, I would have liked President Trump to qualify that a little bit because there is a fundamental difference, right? What you're looking at is there's no light at the end of the Russian tunnel, right? right? Putin is the state. The state is him. And there's no future for Russia beyond him, or at least he doesn't want there to be. Uh, here, it's completely different. Here, there's recourse, there's institutions, there's resilient institutions. Although when you're the leader of the opposition facing 730 years in prison, we're not far off, right? We're not far off. When, 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 we you, know, when you have no about... victims in New York and you're forced to pay $300 no, million. Fair, fair, enough, fair yeah. enough, fair enough. But, but, and... It's a shade. It's yeah, a shade. Yeah, it's, it's a shade. It's a shade. It's, it's not an analog, right. which, which is why I, I really wish that he, he would qualify. But what it does is it leads certain people, certain groups of people, to want a strong leader, a strong leader to right the ship. And missing in that interpretation is the understanding that Vladimir Putin is a strong leader. He has righted the ship, but at enormous cost. Enormous well, cost. It's about him. It's about him at enormous cost for the freedom of Russians themselves, freedom of speech, all the things that we take for granted, all the things that we would object to if they were taken away from us. Right. The Russians have taken it away as a uh, hallmark of Putin-imposed stability. It's what I say... Um I was at a dinner once with some patriots, good people, who said, if we win, if he wins, then we're going to do it to them. And I thought, no, because then I'm not living in America anymore. You can have justice against those who committed crimes if it is proven and they are found guilty in a court of law, but revenge, just for the sake of revenge, that's not American. So let's understand... Strong leaders? Absolutely. But leaders informed by the values upon which our nation, our republic, was founded? That's the American way. All right, as ever, passed far too quickly. That's why it's so much fun to have your bright friends on your show. If you want more, the website is ilanberman.com and the American Foreign Policy Council is afpc.org. And the latest book is Challenging Moscow's Message, Russian Disinformation, and the Western response. I'm Sebastian Gorka. You've been listening to America First One on One, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Keep your head in a swivel, watch your six, hold the line, never give up, never give in, and stay frosty. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400.
Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The world will little note or long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. I have a dream. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people... And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. And we will make America great again. Is America First with Sebastian Gorka. Over the weekend, Senator Thune came out and he endorsed Trump. The other lieutenants have endorsed Trump. Why are you holding out and endorsing your likely nominee? Uh, I don't have any announcement about that today. I wonder why he didn't have an announcement about that yesterday. That is. Senator Mitch McConnell, minority leader of the upper house of the Congress of the United States, not wanting to endorse the man who's just won, what is it, six primaries, record-breaking figures, the latest Michigan. I think we know why, because today he has announced that he is stepping down. He's not in a hurry, though. I mean, it's kind of turtle speed. He's not stepping down until November, but Mitch McConnell is leaving the leadership position. First it was Rona Romney McDaniel, now it's Mitch McConnell. How should we remember the legacy of this man? What does it bode for politics in America? No monologue. We have a, too much of a packed show today. We are absolutely delighted to welcome the man behind one of the best sources of unbiased information in America. It's called justthenews.com and his name is John Solomon. John, welcome to America First. Hey, Seb, good to be with you. A big day, newsy day today. Wow. Newsy, a big newsy day. I was flying back crack at dawn from Texas from a great Salem event in Dallas, and uh, uh, I didn't have to think much about what we're going to talk about today, because from Michigan to the border to the immigration crimes, one after another, to Mitch McConnell, to Rona, uh, I want to talk about Hunter Biden behind closed doors today, because you are the expert. You're the author of a book everybody needs to get right now fallout, nuclear bribes, Russian spies, and the Washington lies that enriched the Clinton and Biden dynasties. But as you rightly said, as we are preparing to launch the show, we should stop for a moment and evaluate how will the ledger of history mark Mitch McConnell's tenure as senator and then uh, minority leader? Listen, um, he's the longest uh, Senate Republican leader in the history of the country. He rose to power in 2003. And I just want to point this out. When he rose to power, he billed himself as a security hawk and as a fiscal hawk. 
on his watch. Can, can, can you just ch- are, you, are you sure? Can you check that? Are you telling me Mitch McConnell came in as a fiscal <laughs> hawk, did. John Solomon? He did indeed. I remember the day I was covering Capitol Hill for Congress for the Associated Press back in those days. And he rose to power as the whip in 2003, eventually becomes a speaker. I think he had a time as a Republican conference leader as well. But during that 20-year block where he has presided over the Senate as the Republican leader, the debt grew from $7 trillion. Our national debt accrued over 248 years of our history, grew from $7 trillion to nearly $34 trillion. More than three-quarters of the nation's debt over 248 years occurred on Mitch McConnell's watch. That is the first thing. His rhetoric and his uh, imperturb versus his record is widely different. In, in the last few years, as the nation's security eroded at the U.S. southern border, he stood silent, did not do anything to counter effectively Joe Biden's opening of the border, and tried to sell to the American people a immigration reform, I put those in quote, air quotes, uh, that would have uh, set catch and release at 5,000 illegal aliens a day, one of the highest numbers before Joe Biden ever imagined in this country. His uh, <clears throat> his pedigree and his record are very far apart, and I think that will be how history looks at him. Can you, uh, I don't want to talk about partisan politics because you're above that, but can you explain what, what is the trend line? What, what are the factors <clears throat> From that day when you were covering his arrival to his announcement today that have seen this transmogrification of people who came in literally promising one thing and doing exactly the opposite. Was it just Washington, D.C. doing its thing or or have you identified another series of factors that that sees this reversal through osmosis? You know, when I first came to town in 1991, there was a Wisconsin senator that had just retired. He was a liberal, a progressive, uh, named Bill Proxmire, but he was a thrifty guy. He believed in uh, uh, saving the taxpayers' money, even though he's a progressive on social issues. Uh, he had the famous Golden Fleece Award that used to shame the government for wasting Americans' taxpayer dollars. And he had just retired. He was in a cubby, and I went to go meet him because I didn't know anyone in Washington. I just a new kid here. And he said to me, son, I'll give you a couple of... Um, uh, good uh, pieces of advice. They will serve you well however long you're in this town. The first is follow the money, and you'll know why Congress does what it does. Okay, that's a good. Money drives everything in this town. And two, don't underestimate Democrats' hands to overplay their hand or Republicans' ability to rescue defeat from the jaws of victory. And I've looked back over that advice in the last 20 years are exactly that, right? Democrats get pushed in the envelope, spend, 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 spend. And many times when Republicans had the upper hand to say no, or we're going to close the border, we're going to do, they always rescued a victorious opportunity and, and, and led to their own defeat of their own principles. And I think Mitch McConnell is that sort of capitulator uh, that uh, each time could have stood firm on principles like Ronald, uh, Ronald Reagan did, but instead capitulated, avoided conflict. And as a result, his legacy is about $30, $28 trillion of debt will be accumulated on his watch by the time he leaves in November. Uh, and the most insecure border we ever have. He'd rather spend more money securing Ukraine's border than our own. And he tried to sell to the American people the first ever codified legislative catch and release program to the American public. That's his legacy.
I think we have the title for his legacy. Could be the title of an article. Maybe it's something called justinnews.com. Mitch McConnell, the great capitulator. Uh, justinnews.com. <laughs> Subscribe today. Follow go. John at J. Solomon Reports. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, we have Hunter Biden behind closed doors. Do you have any expectations of this uh, deposition today? What should be asked and what should Americans expect? Listen, I think the Democrats are going to confront Hunter Biden with the receipts, all this evidence that they have, bank records, testimony, and say, you keep saying this, Hunter Biden, that you never involved your father in this, but you made him take him over to China, and you made him meet with your first Chinese business partner. You made him go to dinners at uh, Cafe Milano, where he was meeting with Russian oligarchs, Kazakh oligarchs, your Burisma executives at a time when Burisma was a dirty word in the United States government. You did involve your brother, father. In fact, your own partner said you involved your father. How can you stand there and say this today? I think the the withering uh, con- confrontation of the facts and evidence versus Hunter Biden's answers will be the story that uh, uh, permeates from this thing. He will not be able to explain away all of the evidence that contradicts his uh, storyline. And I think he'll probably end up being a very uh, a difficult witness for Democrats to swallow when we're done. And then when this is done, I expect the Russia, 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 Democratic mantra to boomerang. I think there will be some major revelations later this week on the Biden's own interest in uh, Russia that have not yet before been disclosed, and it will boomerang. Russia, Russia, Russia. They're going to Democrats are going to regret picking that fight. But they're they're doubling down on it. I mean, just this week we had they Democrats are. in the House using the "this is all Russian propaganda" line again, yeah. John. I mean, it's as if it's a drug they can't kick. Yeah, they, well, it's all they got, right? They can't they can't run on their security or economic record, right? The world's aflame, the borders aflame, the cities are aflame. Our wallets don't buy nearly as much as they used to buy in 2021. So they can't run on anything but this. But it's the boy cried wolf syndrome. Americans aren't going to buy it. And when they see just how dug deep the Biden family was in Russia that has not yet been exposed, I think they're going to understand why they picked up this Russia course. They're trying to project onto Republicans what they were doing. Uh, the, I, I touched on some of this in my book, but there's brand new revelations we're going to be able to deliver to the American public later this week. Trust this man. He's got the goods and he's got the receipts. The book, Get It Right Now, is Fallout. John Solomon and Seamus Brunner. And if you enjoy our show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. We have such a packed show for you today. Whichever platform you prefer, subscribe today. Leave us a five-star review. Show, follow John at J. Solomon Reports and also at justthenews.com every evening, 6 p.m. He's on RAV, Just the News, Not Noise. Your calls, 833-334-6752. We'll be back after these messages. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.